Hi, friends, and welcome to Screen Vomit, the only movie podcast for normal people. I'm, of course, your host, Kayla, and I do have a guest with me today. But before we get to that, if you like the show today, um, you can follow me everywhere online at Screen Vomit, one word on all the things, Instagram, everywhere. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash screen vomit. I've got merch available at the link in the show notes, all kinds of goodies going on with the show. All right, getting to the episode, got a short one, randomly short episode for today. So um, it was fun nonetheless. I have my guest today is filmmaker Kevin Vu. So Kevin makes these really cool short films. Um, I think the first one of his shorts that I saw was Perfect as Cats. I love that short. Um, He's got a couple other ones. They're all really good. Um, You can find them. I put his website in the show notes. So it was cool to have him on and um, check it out. It's funny. Um, Yeah, we'll get into ASMR later because that's what I know Pierre Strickland is really into that. So yeah, you know a little bit more about him than I do. So I mean, in theory, I believe that you do. So. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to talk about his work and also this one in particular. But yeah, before we begin, um, hmm. is there anything you'd like to say or <laughs> do, do just like do any of uh, your like any sponsors you want to mention? <laughs> <laughs> my sponsors yeah. <laughs> yeah shout out to my sponsors um who are giving me money who pay me to do um deranged content for the internet i'd just like to give them a shout out and uh they don't exist <laughs> but if anybody would like to become a sponsor please um hit up my venmo <laughs> all right on. that would be amazing <laughs> all right yeah i found you because i've watched your short films. I don't remember how I found the first one that I watched, which was Perfect as Cats, I believe. Mm-hmm. But they rock, and so I'm excited to have you on the show. Oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> you for the invite. How did you get into filmmaking? Was there an early film that you watched and made you go, oh, I want to do that? Um, boy, yeah. I would say I was always into film. You were born this way. Yeah, born this way. Uh, but I just, <laughs> I just knew, like, yeah, I was artistically inclined and i wanted to do something artistic Mm -hmm. even when i was a child and so yeah my heart was telling me yeah this is what i want to do for the rest of my life your heart was saying film film yeah did you try any other artistic venues like were you ever an artist or something else yeah music never music Mm -hmm. i love music though but um i used to draw and paint a lot as a child and i still do vocationally really yeah it's just really just as an outlet i don't i don't think people will ever pay me money. you're shy about it um <laughs> uh no no it's it's uh basically i just like draw gifts for friends mostly mm-hmm. just strange little caricatures and absurd situations so hell yeah it's something i'm really um that makes me happy and makes them happy hell yeah, yeah. so you like drawing strange little people in strange little situations and then making films about strange little people in strange little situations as well yeah totally and <laughs> That that's Hell that's yeah. pretty much just of it, yeah. That rocks. <laughs> so, what is your relationship with watching film? I mean, just from our discussions, I don't know, in in the DMs, I guess, uh, not to dox our DMs, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you like watching weird little films with uh, other weird little people in weird little situations as well. Would you agree? That sounds about right. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I definitely have an affinity with. Lack of a better word, underground. Weirdo shit. 
or yeah, just、mm-hmm. weird old cinema, and、mm-hmm. that's very much a part of my DNA, and that's、mm-hmm. that's how I kind of navigate my way through the world. <laughs>、um, I do、mm-hmm. see the I do see the world through a particular lens. I think the world is a strange place, and、mm-hmm. especially concerning what's going on in our world today. The best thing <laughs> you. Could, Aside、yeah. from therapy, is just make art about it. Yeah. yeah, making art about it or taking in art about it and、uh, connecting that way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, right on. Hell yeah! <laughs> But as far as self watching, my history with it, yeah, it varied. Yeah, I grew up during the age of、uh, video stores, and so、mm-hmm. that's very always been very close to my heart. And、mm-hmm. I remember watching some really controversial films as a child when I was a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. Name names. Well, I remember I once caught A Clockwork Orange when I was maybe ten years old, and、mm-hmm. I think my dad walked in on me watching it, and he was. <laughs> I think I think he went sent me to an asylum or something. <laughs> You hurried up and switched the TV to porn, and you go, "Dad, I'm watching porn. It's fine." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good save right there. Yeah, he's like, "Oh yeah, okay, nothing to worry yeah. about." <laughs> yeah, sort of the opposite of、uh, normal people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so you know, I'm always,、uh, even now today, I'm, I'm always、um, really interested in finding films that are super. Obscure and also、mm-hmm. definitely really outside the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Like you know,、uh, I won't want to say anything to incriminate myself, but um, <laughs> but um, basically um, you know, I, I love downloading something that runs. It's this online thing that runs with warrant. <laughs> I love downloading warrants uh for films and like tracing them down <laughs> if they're not available on streaming on Apple、uh-huh. Media. <laughs> Downloading them legally and above the board. Yes, exactly. Yes.、Um, yeah, so、uh, I remember even before Netflix and all the streaming. That's actually how I got hold of all these great films, and yeah, especially if they were circulating in America. So thankfully,、uh, mm-hmm. I do live in New York now, which is amazing for art house. You can find bootlegs、theaters. on the street everywhere. Yes, actually. <laughs> I think my earliest of finding weird stuff that was hard to find was that I used to go to conventions, horror conventions, all the time, like multiple times per year. But they would always have booths and booths and booths of、um, above the board, completely legal bootlegs. Oh no way! Of all kinds of shit that you could buy for like so cheap. Oh, and has like、um, an insert that's printed off of somebody's computer, and you open it up, and it's like absolutely a burnt disc. <laughs> Yeah, so that was like my. We would find all these movies there for like really cheap. Come home with a billion, and then share among our friends. And、uh, yeah, that was kind of my early ways. I never, I never was much of a downloader after、um, like LimeWire and and those done my computers dirty, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what kind of access do you have to films and theaters? Or TV now or then? Then, yeah. Um, growing up, I so my dad was really into cult films and weirdo shit and twisted shit,、um, and he was always watching that kind of stuff. I I didn't have like there was no my parents walking in because he just didn't give a shit. It like wouldn't matter what I was watching. So um, <laughs> yeah, man. After my in fact,、heart. my dad would sit down and put Faces of Death on the TV and be like,、uh, eh? like what do you think? Um, <laughs> so I. Not only was watching stuff with him, but he also owned like a secondhand store that did like CDs and movies and tapes and stuff. So、um, wow. people would bring stuff in, and I could just basically take whatever I wanted. So I, I had a lot of access to 
both music and movies that way too so i would just look at the title or like the cover and be like oh this looks weird let me throw it in and then just watch you know whatever and we always had like at his house so my parents were divorced my whole life so when i was at my dad's um, (laughs) i had all that stuff and then he always had like the million channels of cable and stuff too so i could always watch whatever on there and then yeah i started going to uh those conventions when I was a teenager um, and went through my mid early mid 20s I would go all the time so and now you know I still there's art house theaters here in town and I uh, am a little sicko I'll travel to go see a film on occasion I've driven up to Chicago to see a movie or you know depends on what's happening around Um, and I travel a lot anyway so yeah, what was the last movie you went out of town to go see? I'm going to Chicago tonight, actually, to see not even a movie, but a pilot premiere <laughs> for um, Brooke Bundy's new pilot that has some of my pals in it. So I'm going not even to see a feature, but to see a pilot premiere uh, on this very day. Oh, rad, dude. <laughs> anyway, as <laughs> this turn back on to me? How did this happen? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, no one ever asked the host about their life yeah no it's good it's good to know that's fine you can ask me whatever i don't really care um okay so speaking of asking stuff let's switch (laughs) i'm not doing that anymore to talking about the movie that uh we picked for today which is the 2014 film duke of burgundy directed by peter strickland peter strickland is a director that some people are familiar with i think he has like he has a few features out that uh weirdo people know of in fabric i think is is one of his more recent ones that i i uh, was aware of mm-hmm. you had seen his films before some of them at least you picked this movie first of all let's start there yes uh, <laughs> why and had you seen it before i have seen it before and i absolutely adore it i would say it's one of my favorite films of the last 10 years mm-hmm. um, yeah. and I mean, you gave me a really great list of options. Thank you. That's like, no, you know what? Let's talk about Strickland. I mean, <laughs> he has Pride Month and Duke of Burgundy, mm-hmm. and he's got a new film out, which I saw this week, Fox Gourmet, which was uh, definitely something else, which we'll, yeah. I'll probably allude to as we go along. Cool. And you had seen others of his films before as well, true? Aside from this one, I had only seen In Fabric, which oh, okay. I also love. Hell yeah. yeah. I um, had not seen any of his films. This was my first, but they've uh, all been on my list basically for a long time. <laughs> so I'd never seen this film, but I was familiar with the director just in essence, I guess, because I'd never seen anything he'd done. But yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this. For the cast, there's really not much that people would know in this film Sids Babette Nudson is one of the stars she was in Westworld recurring character on that show Shara Diana is another star of this movie she's not really in anything else except for this director's other movies one interesting credit in this film though is the costume designer um, Andrea Flesh also was the costume designer for Midsommar she did the big flower dress and shit so that's kind of cool yeah she's incredible I mean her work here is chef's kiss yeah <laughs> there was a hand movement involved with the chef's kiss just for the <laughs> listeners um, and then for critic scores on this this has 94% on Rotten Tomatoes but 65% with Google users which means <laughs> critically acclaimed but um, normal people don't get it and just an interesting uh, list that it's on IndieWire best films of the decade list that they published this is number 69 baby hell yeah that was that was that was absolutely intentional on their end gotta be right (laughs) they know what they're doing 
So if you don't mind, I will have you read a plot synopsis about this movie before we do it. Is that okay? Certainly. Okay. The Duke of Burgundy. Day in and day out, lovers Cynthia and Evelyn enact an elaborate sadomasochistic fantasy as mistress and maid that as her ritual of domination and submission begins to turn stale, Cynthia yearns for something more conventional while Evelyn tries to push their taboos even further. Hell yeah. That's pretty accurate, yeah. Well done. Um, I didn't write it, but I did copy it and paste it. So, uh, okay, so getting into this movie, mm-hmm. I guess we can start with just the setting. That would be a, a, an easy, soft in. Mm-hmm. So this is set sometime and i don't think they say they don't say right De- uh they definitely don't it was filmed in hungary but it was mm-hmm. i love that it's ambiguous the yeah the time and place it's like probably sort of like late 60s but we don't exactly know but somewhere in that era right yeah would you agree yeah totally okay and you, just when opening credits you can tell like just roll with it man it's like you're in for <laughs> an anachronistic ride yeah. yeah and from there like this film is very referential to other films from that era like from the the 60s and early 70s so you know we'll we'll go there when we get there but that's also you know uh, adds to the look of everything Mm -hmm. do you have a lot of familiarity with films from that era you went to film school did you go to film school i did i try not to boast about it but i did (laughs) well i just mean because you did you probably had to watch some of this crap for school true uh yeah and and as a cinephile i had you would have done it either way oh yeah school or not Oh, it's or not. Like, uh, I think that's one thing that drew me to this film when I first saw a trailer mm-hmm. for it. And I read some interviews with Strickland and some of his reference points. Oh, man, it's like definitely some of my favorite films. So. so you've seen some of this stuff. I would say that I do not have like a huge familiarity, not only with that time period, but uh, more specifically with the types of films that he is referencing in this. I, I know very little. I tried to watch part of one prior to recording this and I did make it. About twenty minutes in oh. to one film. <laughs> oh, and well, just that's all I got. Well, just a, well, just a listener. So that's not the deteriorate from watching this film. Like you definitely, it lives on its, it's own. It's lived on its own, yeah. So it's 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 yeah. definitely its own beast, which is what I really love about it because it is paying homage, but not in an, an insufferable way where it like draws yeah. too much attention away from the film and to the director. I think, yeah, I agree, and I think. The ways that it pays homage, as I've read more about it and kind of looked into it and stuff, it is just like honoring those films. And it's it kind of gives you and like it tells you something about the filmmaker. It's not just like, look, I watched this movie. It's like he loves those movies so much that he wants to show you that the love like he wants you to appreciate it, too. Yeah. And I think that's cool. And I respect that. And I like when filmmakers do that. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah, totally. And think with this film too it's just great how you know despite all the pageantry and all the beautiful costume production design there's still a being heart underneath it all it's not oh, yeah. it's not definitely not all hollow like superficial homage to these films yeah it definitely has its own identity so right exactly yeah. and we talked before recording about buzzard that's something that is evident in that director joel petrikas's films too which i also really like and i think he does it in a similar way where he's always referencing these other films that he loves but in a way that there, there's still a really strong story to his films and then you're just kind of learning about the filmmaker mm-hmm. through what he's showing you yeah and i think i think that's what makes this film great or just like any type of film great is like you can really mm-hmm. feel the filmmaker behind yeah. it yeah like yeah this just them through and through so. hell yeah we love to feel connected to the filmmaker mm-hmm. yeah that rocks the sets in this thing 
are also just so gorgeous. The house that they're in, the clothes we sort of mentioned, the costumes, like everything is so beautiful, but it's still kind of like the colors are kind of muted. So it's not over the top. Like we did the Love Witch on podcast before. Have you seen Love Witch? Oh, I love Love Witch. Yeah. Yeah. It also has like these really crazy sets, but that one's very, it's a lot more colorful. Um, and this is much more muted than that. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a dream come true for me. Yeah. That's like my dream home, just like a big gothic. Uh, and you appreciate a gorgeous set in general. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Has, um, I definitely have an affinity for that. So that mansion is just like my dream home, basically. Hell yeah. yeah. You would want to live in a big old mansion like that? Yeah. You'd have to get you a maid. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I, I think uh, not even. But well, I even mentioned though. I think I think I would just um, maids applications are open. Yeah, kindly accept. And <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I just uh, really love like sets or just homes with a little bit of history to them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's why it really speaks to me. That's just like you like a house with character. Oh, for sure. Like your like obviously viewers can't tell. Like my house. Yeah, your house has character. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Kevin's looking at my house on the Zoom and loving it. <laughs> yes, it definitely resonates with me, uh, listeners, by the way. Your <laughs> humble host and narrator has a beautiful home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, but I digress. Yes, uh, but yes. I don't know if I would want to live in a mansion. It seems like too much. And imagine the spiders. Oh, no. Like <laughs> There would probably be lots of spiders, right? <laughs> yeah, there would be, but even... There's so many corners, you're not dusting all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even... No, actually, I'm not too worried, because even even as a kid, I was always into the, the macabre. You were always living in a mansion? Yeah, I was always into the macabre and the supernatural, and so that always was, yeah, vibing with me, so... So you love spiders? I don't love spiders, but no, I just... I just <laughs> I just, I just love things that are dark and spooky. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, mansions are like Victorian homes. Mansions is so general. Victorian-style homes. Yes, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's specify that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're not talking Bieber's house. We're yeah. talking <laughs> We're talking big old Victorian-style homes. They're so gorgeous. And I, I, yeah, I'm obsessed with the character. But I think that that would be too much home for me. Yeah. And a little anecdote about the film that I found out, like, yesterday I was reading. Mm-hmm. When they rented that house for filming, supposedly it was super bare and... All the wallpaper in there was supposedly printed out mm-hmm. and taped on, and it's like yeah, it looks like real wallpaper. Yeah, that looks pretty legit. Yeah, and the, I guess the tiles in the bathroom were just like stickers too. So they really like they didn't have a huge budget on this film. I think it was like a million dollars, a million pounds. What's a million pounds to dollars? <laughs> My conversion rate is off, but I'd say that's close to three mil, maybe. No, nope, you're wrong. One point two. Hold on. One million two hundred ten thousand four hundred ninety nine dollars. Wow. Well, that looks like a twenty million dollar movie. I must say. <laughs> so that's yeah, cheap magic. I must say. Yeah. Oh, so but as a filmmaker, I will mm-hmm. say though, like, dude, a, mi- a million dollars is still a lot of freaking money. Yeah. You're like a million dollars. That's nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, I wish I had a million dollars to make a movie. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but I mean, you've done well with. I'm. I just assume, uh, as somebody who makes short films, that you're not given a ton of money for them. <laughs> but your films are so gorgeous too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that definitely has a lot to do with crew and having, for example, really awesome production designer. Are all your shorts on film? Um, most of them are. I only shot digital ones, but yeah, for the most part. Yeah. How how do you get this hookup with film? 
<laughs> um, going to film school helps for sure. Um, uh-huh. You know a guy who knows a guy? I wish I did. Yeah, like, uh, but basically, I pay a retail price. I mean, there's like no. Your uncle works at Kodak. Oh, I wish though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like slip me a, a briefcase full of Kodak, like film yeah. stock. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's cool. You just don't see a lot of shorts that are on film because it's so, it's hard to, it's expensive. It's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, making shorts in general is tough, dude. So I would commend anyone who can pull off a great short nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, props to you. But, but definitely guys never shoot on film. If, especially if you're trying to make a short, you can make like 10 shorts with that kind of money. Yeah. Okay. So back to this movie. Okay. So at the beginning, we're kind of, um, we don't see the full picture for a while, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like a maid is coming to clean up this huge, beautiful house. um, And there is a sort of rude housewoman. (laughs) That's a terrible title for someone that I just rolled out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) Homeowner. Uh, lady of the house. Lady, that's I like that. Lady of the house. Lady of the house. Okay, let's never say housewoman again. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's so repressive. My goodness. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I just set feminism back by a hundred years. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> There's a very rude lady of the house um, who kind of orders her around, throws trash in her way. You know, is just kind of rude. We do see in this house also as we're going through it, big old room full of bugs, full of taxidermied bugs, which is pretty cool. Again, everything looking very gorgeous. Mm. You think the bugs were printed out too? <laughs> uh, if they were, they had me fooled. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, great job, art department. I used to have some taxidermied uh, butterflies and moths in my house. Oh, really? But uh, I had them on hanging on the wall and one fell off and it like broke the bug and that made me so distressed. So I just threw them away. <laughs> Oh, I, I didn't want to have his broken body hanging on my wall. Oh, that's that's very tragic, I'm going to say. Yeah. Where you, and I honestly had to Google this uh, admittedly because I don't know the proper term, but... Lepidopterologist? Yeah, lepid... It's, it's a mouthful mm. for me, but... um. It's a mothful? Mothful, <laughs> yeah, great pun. <laughs> <laughs> Lepidopterologist, yeah. the study of a person who studies moths. And butterflies, and, I think. Yeah. But I was not. No, I just thought they were cool. I really liked this one. It's called an atlas moth or a snakehead moth. They've been made famous through uh, Animal Crossing now. <laughs> but they are in this movie. But that was my favorite one. Um, and that's really what I... I told you I used to go to these horror conventions. Mm-hmm. And there was always this guy with a big old booth full of taxidermied insects and bats and stuff um and i just thought this moth was so cool but then you can't just have one so like i got a couple other like just little pretty butterflies to hang around it wow (laughs) i really loved that one and i still do i think they're so cool the tips of their wings look like a little face like a little snake face so when they flutter their wings predators think it's a snake and not a moth so that's why their nickname is the snakehead moth. Oh. Anyway, that's all I know. And I only know that because I really like this one moth. Okay. No, they're beautiful. I, I <laughs> I'm say. a disturbed individual who saw a cool moth at a horror convention and Googled a bunch of shit about it. <laughs> now respect. <laughs> I appreciate people with esoteric hobbies. I don't know what esoteric means, but I think that that's a compliment. I don't know. It's, it's very much so, yes. <laughs> nice. I didn't go to college, so I don't know the big words. That's right. College is overrated anyway. <laughs> Yeah, that's what people say who've gone to college. Um, but you'll never know what it's like to not go. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing much. So, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so this couple, this these two women, we don't know that they're a couple yet, but at the end of the day, 
the lady of the house does order the maid to rub her feet. And at that moment, I think is the first sort of like queer suggestiveness that we get in this film. She kind of hikes up her skirt a little bit and like the maid watches her get undressed through the keyhole. You know, that's when we find out there might be a little bit of queerness going on here. And I think that that rocks. <laughs> that is um, aligned with my interests <laughs> as a queer person. Yeah. Would, do you, are you also queer? Sorry, not to just make you out yourself on the podcast. Last I checked, I'm not queer. Okay. But I do especially love and admire how they approach queerness in this film and that's mm-hmm. I think that's a great... You appreciate it. Yeah, that's definitely an um, interesting point of discussion if I might mention that okay. at first I was a little I was a little wary of this film being mm-hmm. queer film directed by a man mm-hmm. but yeah surprisingly it's actually very moving and mm-hmm. he is very gentle in his approach and non-judgmental mm-hmm. about their behavior which mm-hmm. we haven't discussed yet but yeah I'm curious to know what you, how you feel about representation in this film yeah it is cool yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it is interesting to have, like, a man... uh, Interesting is... A word. Uh, To have a man make a movie uh, all about women, and specifically queer women, can be dodgy, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I didn't feel like it really was dodgy here in this film, and I think... That's for from a couple reasons. So first of all, it's not really about their queerness. Mm-hmm. We find out here in a little bit that there are no men in this world. There's only women. So we spend a little bit of time out in the real world. Not a ton because this mostly takes place in their house. But enough to know that there are no other genders, I guess, in this universe so that in that way these people become not lesbians they're just normal like they're not they're not a subculture there's not an opposite to them they're just normal people within their world yeah i love that yeah yeah and just two people in love and i think it's amazing and it takes the focus away from their queerness where their queerness is just inherent it's part of them it doesn't have to be addressed and puts the focus on just their relationship with each other as a relationship and not as a queer relationship do you know what i mean we're not having to think about how their relationship fits with an outside world because the outside world is normal in their world (laughs) yeah for that reason it's like it feels is this making sense no no totally no it's uh it feels almost like a little utopia for them Almost like, mm-hmm. yeah, no men exist. And God, yeah. it wasn't that big a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, so I did, I mean, we did just do another film for the podcast called Supernova, where we talked about on the pod. That was also a film about a gay couple that was made by a straight man with straight actors. And they had specified the intention to make their queerness not be addressed. Like it, it's not a thing. They don't experience any strife from their queerness or any otherness or whatever. They're gay assimilators <laughs> and make their gayness be irrelevant. And I hated that in that film because it took the soul out of it i oh. don't know um it's hard to it's hard to really put into words i guess but i think that this film even though they're kind of making the people not be queer by making the whole world queer mm-hmm. i think in that way it still kind of retains its queer essence because everyone's queer they're not just queer and their queerness doesn't matter because nobody cares everyone is queer so we all are oh does this make any sense no. out loud no totally man i'm <laughs> It seems okay. also that this director is really interested in destigmatizing taboo or quote unquote taboos. Queerness is 
less and less of a taboo, but it still exists. Oh, absolutely. Um, throughout his films. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only taboo in this film because they also, as we find out, are a BDSM couple. Like they're really into sadomasochism. Here in a second in this film, we get like the lady of the house punishing the maid by pissing in her mouth. And then they have like a beautiful sex scene where you realize they are a couple. We haven't really gotten there in the story, but <laughs> that, that becomes part of their journey. In this world and the movie as well, like that kind of kinks, BDSM stuff is part of something that's normalized in their society too. And it's not, it's not, the focus isn't put on like, oh, how crazy and weird is it that they like do this fucked up thing? It's more about like, how does a couple communicate with each other? How does a couple decide what works for their relationship and um, how to make that work within their relationship and express their needs with each other and stuff like that. No, absolutely. And especially with the case of, I believe the character's name was Evelyn, the older one. I think she definitely loses a lot of herself in this relationship, having to give her needs to her mm-hmm. partner. And so that's that says a lot about relationships too. Yeah. I also, back to the BDSM, I really, that's another thing I really appreciate. He could have done this in a really judgmental and campy manner, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really, I felt like, yeah, it was very tasteful. Yeah. And that yeah, didn't really make it a taboo, as you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, removed the taboo from it, so something I really appreciated. Just from like what I have read about his other films, because like I said, I haven't seen any, but that seems to be like a topic not not BDSM, but the destigmatization of things that have a negative connotation or that things people get judged for or whatever. That's something that he appreciates approaching in many of his films. In his new movie, doesn't he do that with IBS? Is what I read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. IBS King. Yeah, IBS King. Mm-hmm. It's and. Yeah, basically, um, it resonated with me because. Are you an IBS king too? Oh yeah, totally. Uh, but no, but, yeah. but actually, not not to not to be not to joke about people with actual IBS, but um. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but, well, I'm a person with actual IBS, oh, yeah. so. Oh yeah. I'm excited. Oh okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'll say I've never experienced it, so I would never know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but no, it's like it's kind of interesting how he yeah also destigmatizes uh, gastrointestinal issues, mm-hmm. but also kind of makes it really funny at the same time with this film. But I'll give it to much away yeah (laughs) okay okay yeah Yeah, so that's just like something he's interested in doing with his work and i just think that's cool but also on the topic of um not making this film about all women and queer women in a queer relationship feel like it's pulled from a male gaze having a variety of types of women in the film really helps with that like you see a lot of older women in the background and walking down the street old ladies holding hands um stuff like that and in a typical uh, heterosexual view, you know, they'd all just be like hot young, hot young fangs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's totally. And even just from like the references that he pulls from, like all the movies that he references that I've read about in this film are like movies that are mainly female casts. Like they're all about just uh, having like strong powerful women and uh, stuff like that so it's all about love and appreciation oh totally and yeah i didn't know what to expect going into this too but then again it doesn't feel male gazy mm-hmm. which is again something i thought was very admirable their sex scene is also not that like so we hit a sex scene like pretty much around here that's when we get like the big twist reveal that they're a couple and they're just uh practicing sadomasochism but it is very like 
artistically delivered. It's not just like raunchy, hot sex scene or whatever. There is like a a double exposure aspect happening during the sex scene. I read somebody describe that as this visual doubling representing the two sides of each of the women as like the performative side that's performing this um, stuff all day. (laughs) And then the actual self uh, who's also there as well. So like their identity and their performance coexisting in the same space as they finally, uh, you know, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's pretty good interpretation. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. And um, I really liked that description. What do you think about the sex scene? The sex scenes were, yeah, definitely not titillating. It's just like, it just felt really dreamy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's that's, that's a word I'll use a lot to describe this film. It's just very Mm -hmm. dreamlike. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, I just felt they were tastefully done. Definitely felt a lot more romantic, for sure. And I'll, that's I'll, it. That's your thoughts. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to say about sex scenes. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. The whole beginning chunk of this film as well was also a reference to the film Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant. Have you seen this film? Oh, yes. I love that film. This is the one I watched 20 minutes of. They have the same kind of dynamic at the beginning of that film as well where it's like a woman and her assistant and she's being all rude to her assistant etc etc and then later in the movie i think you find out that they have a similar relationship to the women in this film would that be true yeah no that's fair on point and i liked how he respects his audience enough to keep it ambiguous and allows you to put the pieces together about the mm-hmm. relationship yeah that was really fun yeah and i rewatched it again and I thought I just really enjoyed how there's so much ritual in the relationship and mm-hmm. they would just repeat this I don't know how many times a day. Yeah, there's a lot of ritual involved between them. We kind of hear somewhere soon, we get like a reveal that the maid leaves a note in the morning for the house lady with instructions on how to instruct her throughout the day including a little script what exactly to do she makes her dress up and wear a wig and everything like that so the person that we initially think is the dom in the relationship it turns out is actually not yes and that's (laughs) which is even like a double flippy flip right (laughs) yeah I i love that too it's just like not the dynamic you were expecting and yeah so basically we have one woman who wants a more conventional relationship just something Mm -hmm. very intimate and tonight but then her partner wants something a little bit more severe and taboo Mm -hmm. yeah so um i definitely expected the lady of the house to be the one who's going to be the one who was a little more brutal yeah but she's just being told how to brutalize the other woman all day long so after we have that reveal we get a replay of the initial scene with the maid coming in being bossed around blah 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 but we spend a little more time with the lady of the house in the second replay and see we get to see like that little bit of sadness in her eyes after she orders the other person to do something you know like she's kind of not like her heart's not really in it (laughs) and uh, I thought that was cool and it gives us um, a little sympathy for a character that we start off kind of hating as an audience right yeah so uh, that was pretty well done i love that and yeah as they continue it just becomes yeah more and more clear that the that the main lady is kind of growing tired or uncomfortable by their relationship by how the volume of their relationship that is being spent on this 
sort of sadomasochistic rituals. And she wants some tenderness. I think it becomes like really evident when the furniture specialist comes over, the scene with the furniture specialist. Yeah, she, uh, played by Fatma Muhammad, who is basically uh, Pierre Strickland's muse. Uh, she's in all his films, and I must say, yeah, she's yeah definitely got presence. She's awesome. Yeah. They were going to order a bed from her that opens up and the sub can get inside of and sleep underneath, trapped, but they couldn't make the deadline. And then she mentions a human toilet, which we never find out what it is. But at the mention of that, the the lady of the house jumps up and kind of leaves instantly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that underwhelmed me. It's like, what is a human toilet? I think it's fun to kind of leave it up to your imagination because the title of it is so uh, visceral. (laughs) And you kind of go, what could that be? If they just showed you what it was, you'd be like, oh. But uh, the thought of just the something called the human toilet, what would that be like? Oh, boy. I think that that's... (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Yeah, well, I like a film that challenges you. Yeah. Unless you use your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Slowly, like, they're spending less and less time being their authentic self and more and more time engaging in the performance. And I think the, the lady of the house starts to feel like the uh made like i never learned their names sorry so (laughs) we're gonna be made in lady of the house forever Um, (laughs) but (laughs) but uh starts to feel like the maid lady is sort of more in love with her performative self than Mm -hmm. her actual self and the maid lady is less and less satisfied with the performative self because she's not as into it into her performance mm. and so they kind of start to grow apart too yeah i really love those moments of friction between them uh as they grow mm-hmm. apart especially yeah. going back to the human toilet mm-hmm. that was uh <laughs> for our listeners that what a sentence going back to the human toilet yeah. um <laughs> yeah for a little bit of context everyone that is just meant to be uh the maid of the house that's her meant to be her birthday gift yeah and so later on um, I love the scene when we fall on her birthday and Cynthia, yeah. the lady of the house, this is when their relationship gets really strained. She's upset with Evelyn because she whacks another person, another woman's boots. She whacks another woman's boots and the, the waxing of the boots was part of her rituals, part of her scenarios that she's having um, her partner enact every day. So like the waxing of the boots, even though it seems... Um, on the surface innocuous it actually holds some kind of uh depth for her because it's part of her rituals that gets her off Mm -hmm. so that she whacks another lady's boots basically is akin to having fucked another woman yeah oh but thank you yeah Uh, (laughs) uh, basically yeah evelyn just thinks or cynthia just thinks that's like a huge betrayal and so i love that scene on her birthday where she is just really cruel but she's not performing or at mm-hmm. least um, at first we think she is. Mm-hmm. Basically, she surprises Cynthia by having her bake her own birthday cake from scratch. Yeah. She says, here's all the ingredients. Now bake your cake. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the icing on the cake, uh, using a little metaphor, is that she has her <laughs> serve her the cake, birthday cake, so yeah. she can enjoy it while basically 
she has her foot on Evelyn while she's on the ground. Yeah. And she has her foot on the maid's neck while she eats the maid's birthday cake on the maid's birthday <laughs> and doesn't allow the maid to have any of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just brutal. Uh, yeah. It is brutal. And she's wearing an outfit that the maid had previously ragged on her for like well that outfit is like frumpy and doesn't make me horny could you try a little you know so she's wearing like intentionally an outfit that she knows that that woman hates and then eats her birthday cake in front of her while stepping on her neck and also ignoring her safe word so that was like a huge fuck you (laughs) and uh, I thought it kind of rocked (laughs) Yeah, and again, another thing I love about this film is how basically most of the film takes place in this one mansion, and I just kind of love how it's so insulated from reality. It's like, it's just like this relationship between these two women and the world, this outside world doesn't exist. So we get to Mm -hmm. see all their complexities, a lot of their jealousies, resentments underneath. Yeah, but we get just enough of the outside world that like... We see them go to a classroom a few times. They're lepidopterology class. (laughs) Lepidopterology. (laughs) It is a mouthful. (laughs) Um, Lepidopterology class where the lady of the house gives a presentation once. Sometimes they're just learning. But through seeing these other people that exist in their world too, not only did, like I mentioned, we find out there's no men in this world, but we are also finding out that like the times the the era I guess that they live in is not just something that is insular to their house it's not it's not a performative part of their thing it is like where they are in the world like everyone looks like that and also the mannequins in the classroom oh yes yeah that that was also a reference to Jesus Franco who I think you brought up earlier um, that's something that he does in his films a lot is uh, introduce mannequins oh, so yeah that was just a, another one of those little nods yeah, I only noticed the mannequins on this rewatch, and I was like, whoa. How, yeah, how, some of the people in the classroom are just mannequins, yeah. Yeah, but mm-hmm. otherwise, I think that's just super punk rock, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, can't, can't get actors. Yeah, just film with mannequins. Go work on them. No one could tell. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's a reference to Jesus Franco. Oh, okay. After the furniture lady leaves, they're not going to get any furniture from her. It's going to take too long. We don't, we're not interested in the in the toilet (laughs) in the human toilet so the maid gets this coffin thing that she had just chilling in the basement a basement coffin as anyone would (laughs) (laughs) and that becomes something that she wants to do every night as well so that additionally like adds on to the the space that's growing between the two characters um it's more of a like physical representation like they're they're physically separated at night so they're not only emotionally growing apart but also physically and i think that adds a lot to the lady of the house's grief as well that's also when we get the reveal of the safe word which is panastri which sounded like be nasty the way she said it (laughs) Yeah. What a safe word, be nasty. But I guess that um, panastri is a type of moth in Scotland and England. So their safe word is also moth related. Did I say that the title of the film is also moth related? I don't know if I said that out loud, but uh, it is a type of moth, the Duke of Burgundy. Sorry, people in nobility, there's no actual Duke in this film. No Duke. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, the whole moth thing was a, was also just another reference to uh, Stan Brakhage films. Oh, yeah. So there's just references all over the stinking thing. Yeah, something I really talk about the film is, and I think a lot of Strickland's films, too, is um, he's a big fan of experimental films. And so I really appreciate how he's able to marry those two sensibilities together and put it in a narrative. Mm-hmm. The moth sequences, if you do watch... Yeah, that was pretty rad. Hell yeah. Yeah, so when the film kind of like veers away from the story of these two women and kind of goes to super dreamy abstract realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one like weirdo. Uh, it's sort of like a dream sequence. It's hard to even say like what it is. I think the director referred to it as like a shared dream between everyone. Huh. <laughs> Said you're not sure who's shared dream, but it's just kind of like suddenly everyone's dreaming. Yeah, I was into it. And yeah. speaking of dreaming too, like we kind of talked about ASMR before this podcast began. And mm-hmm. I know Strickland is really big on ASMR and you'll see a lot in his films that influence, mm-hmm. but there are definitely moments in this film. And so <laughs> all that whispering, all, like the sound design in this film is so beautiful and it really like hypnotizes you and sedates you too yeah yeah so the sound of like moss and and insects buzzing and like women whispering safe words is just really comforting (laughs) strangely it's it's like you just went on a loop moths beautiful insect sounds and women whispering safe words yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's very it's very sensual but not in in an erotic way but (laughs) but Got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, so why yeah, why are feeling he was trying to emote or trying to get out of his audience, I think yeah. Mm-hmm. He did it. Yeah, so Great. He nailed it for you. Yeah, yeah. Great, great use of sound and visuals in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even at one point, I think right before we come out, the the whole screen gets covered in moths. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, but this is tight. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> and then you zoom out of this woman's vagina. <laughs> yes. And we're back in the normal world. Reborn. <laughs> Something uh, that we haven't touched on that definitely deserves a lot of love is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like the soundtrack is done by this band called Cat's Eyes, mm-hmm. and it's honestly, I would say, one of my favorite film soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. So you would say it rips. It totally rips. Yeah, it slaps. <laughs> it slaps and rips. Yeah. Hell yeah! Yeah, I read um, a lot of articles saying that like it sucks that they probably won't get any recognition for their soundtrack, which rocks. Um, just because the movie is so underground that it kind of can't. But yeah, the the soundtrack or score or whatever is awesome. It rocks. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, just have to throw it out there. Yeah. Hell yeah! Give a little nod. Yeah. So just uh, overstretching recap. They are kind of doing these rituals back and forth all day. It seems like they do the same rituals over and over. Basically, the same scenarios they're enacting over and over for so long, right? And then they start to grow apart once the coffin's introduced. The maid can't even hang out in the day because she has to sleep so that she can be in the coffin at night. And there's just all this space creating between these two women. And it finally comes up to a breakdown during the the underwear scenario. (laughs) (laughs) So there's one scenario where the the lady of the house forces the maid to hand wash her underwear. And man, the acting the first time they do that is just so good. This last time she just starts crying and uh, can't handle it anymore. And they finally, the maid finally shows like some tenderness and care for her partner who's clearly been losing her damn ass mind this whole time. <laughs> but, yeah, we definitely gotta give credit to those two actors who are incredible in this film. They're so good. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it takes a lot of talent and 
prowess to act. I don't know if bad is the word I want to use, but basically just like pretend to act. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, to act within acting. Yes. Mm-hmm. To sort of inception act. Yeah. Because <laughs> she is, in the real world, an actor, but also her character is acting. This is what you're saying? It's complicated. Oh, yes, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, they're, they're both great in this film. So, she's having her character act as something else than what her character is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's layered. And, yeah, it's got to be complicated, but... um. Yeah, they do it really well. They both do a great job. But at this moment, they finally have like a reconciliation point where the maid lady is like, oh, I can change. Like, we can stop this. I love you. I want to make this work. I'm sorry, basically. And they put the box, the coffin back into the basement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they spend some time being like passionate and tender and loving, finally, um, because it's been pretty one note in their relationship for the movie up to that point, right? Mm-hmm. I read a thing, a letter, I think this was a letterboxed review that described it as like the director exploring how repetition, ritualization, and one-sided control turns their sex lives from something beautiful and natural like a butterfly into something rigid and uncompelling, like a hundred identical dead butterflies mounted on the boards. Wow, like look- you see early in the film. I thought that was a cool like way to look at it. Yeah, so that was a letterboxed critics, man. They got a right book. <laughs> Some people do really good ones, yeah. not me. Yeah. I just do stupid little. <laughs> no, no, yours are good, but no, I definitely get a kick out reading uh, little mini letterbox reviews. Yeah, sometimes some people do really good ones. And I think just reading different interpretations of this film, because it is, it's more art artsy, it's more art driven that you can interpret it in different ways or look at visuals and associate them with different emotional or physical patterns Mm -hmm. which you can't do with every film not every film is set up that way but i think because it is it just allows more room for interpretation and that's cool yeah so definitely my kind of film hell yeah me too (laughs) so um yeah we get some time of them being tender and loving together we have the notion that some time passes and i don't think that we really know how long but at the end, we go back to watching the lady of the house put on that wig and clothes and uh, the maid come up and ring the doorbell. So back to basically the beginning of the movie, like they're back to playing their little playing their little games, their little rituals. So bada bing, bada boom, that's real creds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like any relationship, man. It's all cyclical. <laughs> yeah, it's all cyclical and they're just, I mean, it's part of like what relationships are about, like doing stuff to make your partner happy even if it's not always the thing that you want to be doing but you have to make concessions but there also has to be a balance and one can't be too heavy you know absolutely also just a fun credit in this film there is a credit for human toilet consultant (laughs) in the creds so oh my goodness (laughs) even though they didn't show a human toilet at all in this film um that's fun to be in the credits it's also a credit for perfume i saw perfume (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh lots of crazy credits in this one so yeah Yeah. hell yeah so uh yeah so that's it we rolled it so would you like to score this out of five what do you think uh i will happily give it a five out of five five out of five hell yeah do you want to say why do you want to justify your score yeah so i will not hype it up too much i want people to walk in this (laughs) yeah i mean i I never like to hype up too much and people get underwhelmed because a lot of times i recommend movies to people and they're like what the fuck you just made me watch Story of my life. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> um, but no, this one, um, it's an experience. It's, it's dreamlike and it's gorgeous and 
it's moving, and mm-hmm. I'll leave it at those adjectives for now. Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. Um, so I gave it a four and a half, I believe, out of five. Yeah, I think it's very, it's very visionary. Like it's very artistic. Um, everything just looks gorgeous even aside from the story of it all but also the story is pretty unique and we don't see a lot of this stuff represented in film that often so I think that that's cool and uh, it's queer which is a hell yeah from me and (laughs) it just it has a really strong style and a really strong voice to it and I think that that rocks that's the bulk of it I guess so uh, yeah I'd say this was a great film and I want to watch more of his stuff. Yeah. And I'd recommend. You would recommend, yeah? Yeah, totally. And piggybacking oh, yeah. off your reasons why, yeah, mm-hmm. Strickland, he's just um, has a very singular vision. Yeah, just when you watch his films, you just kind of feel like you're in good hands. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, so that wraps up the film, but we have another segment, which is called Screen Bombed After Dark. Now it's time for... Screen vomit. So in this part of the pod, we just talk about whatever else we've been watching lately. So like movies, shows, whatever else you've been watching. So what you been up to? I am a terrible movie watcher nowadays, but <laughs> I've been watching some great television, I must say. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I just started Gentleman Jack on HBO, which again... Some great queerness. You're obsessed there. with lesbians. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm stuck for queer people. I mean, can't get enough mm-hmm. of them. And yeah, surprisingly, it's still on the first season. And yeah, the show rocks, I must say. And Lister, if you're not oh, yeah. familiar with her, definitely Wikipedia her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love a good British costume drama. Hell yeah. A lesbian British costume drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. And then I've been watching some sketches from Kids in the Hall, if you've ever seen wow, that. Wow, TBT, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do they hold up, or what do we think? Uh, I have a special fondness and relationship with Kids in the Hall. It's what I grew mm-hmm. up watching, and it's definitely my kind of humor, so I still love mm-hmm. these guys. I am preparing myself to watch their new season that just mm-hmm. came out, so I don't know if that's going to... I'm worried where or not that's going to hold up, but... I've listened to... I don't want to spoil Kids in the Hall. I've listened to interviews with one of the guys, and I don't love everything he has to say uh, these days, but I also grew up on Kids in the Hall, and I loved it growing up, so I'm just sticking with my fond memories and not going back. Right on. <laughs> what else? Anything else from you? Yeah, so... Also, I've been catching up on this other BBC show, Inside Number Nine. Okay. If you like Kiss and Hall, definitely watch The League of Gentlemen. Uh-huh. Which is League of Gentlemen? Yeah. I think that would be up your alley. It's like Okay. I wanna describe it. Basically sketch comedy. I would say like Monty Python meets Twin Peaks, I wanna say. Okay. Yeah, and then this uh, two of the co creators of that show, they have this other anthology show called Inside Number Nine, which Ranges I feel like I've heard of this. From, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's still on Hulu if you want to check out the first two seasons. Okay, cool. And you like this? Yeah, big big fan of those guys. Hell yeah. So, Is that it? Yeah, that's it for me. Okay, so you're watching lots of uh, 90s comedy. <laughs> yeah, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I watched some comedy this week. I watched John Early, Kate Berlant, and Andy DeYoung's new comedy special, which is on 
Peacock Premium, I think, yeah. um, called Would It Kill You to Laugh. Once, Have you seen this? I haven't, but I want to. I love Kate Perlant. John Early's players, too. So mm-hmm. it's definitely on they my both, They've done a lot of work with Andy DeYoung, who directed it, but also helps write some of the stuff. So John Early and Kate Berlant and Andy have like a whole series of shorts that they've done in the past that are all really good. So this is just another instance of them all working together and it rocks. It was so funny. It's gorgeous and uh, huge laughs from me. So would it kill you to laugh? Recommend. Uh, we need a good, yeah, <laughs> everyone needs a good laugh these days. So that- Yeah, they're, they're few and far between. Harder and harder to come by yeah. in uh, this world. But uh, that that was such a good one. Listen to your um, friend Kayla, people. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I will watch. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, I got a couple movies I checked out. Um, Kendra and Beth, which I think is <sighs> just doing festivals right now. I don't think it's like out-out, but I saw it at a fest. Um, I really want to see that. Yeah, it's got Caitlin Scheel, it's got yeah. Whitmer Thomas, it's also a queer movie, and everybody's really good in it. Um, Caitlin Scheel is like the only uh, female worker at the sausage factory, and she just kind of, it's like a slice of life. Like, she's having a hard time in the world, her mom's sick, her brother's uh, sort of mentally not all there, and um, just making it work. So it's it's a really good film, though, and it's got a lot of heart. So I really liked that, Kendra and Beth. Yeah. I rewatched Mermaids, which is an older film. This is like 1990 or something. But it's a film I watched a lot as a kid. And uh, so I rewatched it and it holds up. It's beautiful. We got Cher. We got Winona Ryder. We got little baby Christina Ricci, who's like four years old in the film. I hadn't watched it probably since I was like, I don't know, less than 10. And it's just gorgeous. And I love an alternative family movie that's like, they were harder to come by pre like 2005 movies that feature families that don't fit into the traditional family structure Mm -hmm. so like you always just see like mom and dad are married we have 2.5 kids and we have like our middle class to upper class even have a huge house blah 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 you know that's like what you always see yeah so thank you yeah so when like that just wasn't my experience growing up it's not a lot of people's experience and so whenever i would find a film that has a family structure that deviates from the quote-unquote the norm i am drawn to it i love the shit can't get enough of this stuff and mermaids is one of those films baby um so love that film (laughs) um (laughs) that's one that escaped me so yeah you've never seen it uh, i always wanted to um yeah it's really good who doesn't love Cher and winona and little Christina. Yeah. Me, uh, eight years old, being obsessed with a film that stars Cher, Winona Ryder, and Christina Ricci. Nobody saying, um, hello, you're a little queer. Um, <laughs> okay, where was oh. everyone at? <laughs> yeah. The signs were all there. So. The signs were all yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wore out that v- VHS. Oh, man. <laughs> it got fucked up. <laughs> um, all right, I got two more that I'm going to mention. One is Dinner in America, which is a new film. Huh. Uh, just came out on streaming. It has um, Kyle Gallner and Emily Skeggs. It's like a punk rock film. Uh, Kyle Gallner's character is a little over the top in the beginning. Like He's like a fuck you punk, you know, just like wants to go around fighting everybody. And I think that's like a little bit of a played out trope 
didn't love that but it's a love story involved in there and i don't typically like a love story but i think that theirs works really well and it's really gorgeous and emily wrote an original song for the film and that song also rocks oh and they do it in the film so i just i loved their um I loved their relationship in the film so much that uh, I was super into the film, even though I thought that Kyle Gallner's character kind of was too much. So uh, I like it. Dinner in America. Check it out. I shall. I got one last one. And this one was really good, too. I think this was a five stars from me. It's called Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days. (sighs) Yes. You've seen? Yes. This is, what is this, Romanian or something? Yeah, Romanian. Movie. From like 2007, uh, I watched this on the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Oh my god, um, you're so, so you're so masochistic, <laughs> my god. Yeah, I love to suffer. Um, this is a movie about a woman seeking an abortion in a country where abortion is illegal, and how she obtains it, and what they have to go through for it. And uh, man, it was so good. It was just really good. Oh. And I don't think I'd ever watched a Romanian film before. Oh. So that's just kind of cool, too. Uh, four months, three weeks, and two days. Yeah, definitely. Great film. Definitely how I recommend it from your dear friend Kevin, too. Listeners, <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. Very relevant. Relevant to the times. I have randomly been watching a lot of abortion films almost by accident. Uh, <laughs> um, I so. see. Uh, I saw you watch Never Really, Sometimes Always. I, I've watched that a while back, um, but I did post about it the other day. Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. We did great for one. the podcast. Um, that's a great film. Um, we did it for the podcast like a uh, probably over a year ago now, a year and a half ago or something. And we also had Sidney Flanagan, who is the main actor in Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, on the pod. Ooh. Not for that one, but for another movie called Family. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, um, she is amazing. And on our episode with Never for uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, I had my guest Hannah Gamble, who has created a web series about an autobiographical web series about her own abortion called Choose Me an Abortion Story. So we talk about abortion a lot in that episode. And uh, that movie just rocks anyway. It's so good. So yeah, that's a really good one too. And I watched um, Revolutionary Road, which is also, this is a big spoiler, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's an abortion film as well. But that was totally by accident. I just randomly selected it. Turns out that's a twist in the movie. Like, so... But that was that was also pretty good. <laughs> and did you see Susan Roof? I've seen that in the past. Oh. I haven't watched it recently, but yeah, I've watched that before too. So you know, uh, we're all about abortion films these days um, and suffering in our country who hates us. So <laughs> yeah, better time than any to say, people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, watch those movies. <laughs> Yeah, and also donate to local abortion funds. Don't forget, people. Yeah, yeah. Donate to abortion funds. That's my little plug on this. Do what you can. Yeah, you know, in the in this day and age, it's all we can do. (laughs) Wake up every day and do do our best. Do what we can. Oh, totally. Do what we can do to help. Yeah, absolutely. So, what you got to plug? What I have to plug? No, just, yeah. no, just I, I pretty much just plug it out. Like, for abortion rights, support Planned Parenthood, for its women's yeah. rights. Yeah, dude. That's all I have to say. 
Hell yeah. Do all that. But also, people should watch your films. So do you have like a website? I do have a website. What's your website? Last I checked. You don't know what it is. It's probably on GeoCities or something. If you're... If you got- <laughs> If any of you guys are old enough to remember that, yeah. Uh, it's uh, kevinvu.net, and I do have to... Are you sure about that? You sound unsure. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm unsure because I haven't curated it in a while, but it's kevinvu.net. Okay. <laughs> so you don't want people to go there? <laughs> no, no. Well, it has all your films on it, though. Yeah, I am... I am still on the Suckerverse, which is Instagram. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you guys can find me on Instagram, too. At Kevu. And look out for your new feature that'll be coming out in uh, three to five years. <laughs> yeah, and if you guys have any rich aunts who likes weirdo films, yeah, please let them know. I'm making one. <laughs> or whoever has an uncle that works at Kodak, etc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for this uh, wonderful like self-promoting opportunity, Kayla. <laughs> the oh, shameless yeah. self-promoting. <laughs> I felt so weird about saying all that. <laughs> Kevin's absolutely sweating on the podcast. (laughs) Never been more uncomfortable when he had to promote his own uh, films. Yeah, that word you are. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, I was really glad to have you on. So thanks for. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks, you know? yeah, thanks so much, Kayla. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for making me watch a cool film. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for uh, bringing on cool filmmakers and talking about cool films. Hell yeah. Always happy. Yeah, we need more people like you in this world. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> doing my part. That's all. Anybody could do it. Um, doesn't have to be me, but it is. So, you know, what do you do? <laughs> all right, so we'll see everyone else next week. Bye. Take care. <laughs>